Come on. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm sounding a little sultry today because uh, I've been sick. I lost my voice, but it's just coming back. So if it sounds like I'm going through puberty, this isn't how I normally sound. Um, but I'm recovering, so thank you uh, for bearing with me today. I think it just makes me sound more emotional today. So the Lord is just the Holy Spirit really moving on my heart and my spirit. Um, but no, I'm excited to be here sharing with you today. Uh, continuing this identity theft series. Uh, how many of you are excited for what God's doing in India? Um, we're, we're really excited to partner with Tyler and Rebecca. If you didn't know, we've been partnering with them. Uh, man, I want to say for the last three years or so, four years, four years, we have supported them monthly. And that is because of your giving. So the buckets are being passed right now. We give out of what you give. And so we're able to support people like them that are doing amazing ministry um, in India. Actually, this last week, I was in South Carolina. And anybody been to the South? Come on, somebody. The South. Anybody from the South? What's up? All right. So uh, I love the South, man. There's something special about it. Something, um, it's unique. But uh, I was there for a pastor's event. It was like a roundtable event. was learning um, from one of the pastors there and all the guys there. But it was raising money for Global University um, in India. And so this is kind of India week, I guess, for our church. And uh, so we committed uh, to, to donate some money to them, to Global University. And so I just want to thank you. Because you give, we're able to, as a church, give. Um, we are wanting to be good stewards of what God gives us. So I know you could give your money anywhere. But I just want to tell you, when you give it here, we are going to do our best to steward it well and to use it to build the kingdom of God. That is our goal. That is our call. And so we committed uh, over the next few months to give $5,000 to Global University. Um, and they are training pastors. They're trying to plant 20,000 churches in the next several years. And so we committed to give $5,000, which is going to help plant 500 churches because it's training 500 pastors um, there. And so I want to give God some praise and thank you for your giving. So can we give it up for ourselves, for our generosity, and for the Lord and what he's doing? And so this is a win, man. We're here to build the kingdom. And so we're not just, uh, you know, when we receive your money, it's not just like, oh, so we can uh, hoard it and put it in a bank. No, we want to use it to build the kingdom of God all across the globe. And so we're doing that through Global University, who are training pastors. We're doing that through Tyler and Rebecca, who are doing amazing ministry. Um, and you guys just heard all about that. So we're super excited for what God's doing. But I am pumped. Um, I sound weird, but I'm pumped to share from God's word today. Uh, today... We are continuing this identity theft series, taking back the you that's been taken from you. So here's the reality. Uh, the world, this culture, uh, wants to put an identity on us, uh, wants to tell us who we should be, um, what we should wear, uh, what we should eat even. And I've found that I've gotten caught up in thinking ways that are not God's ways. 
And if we're going to take on the identity that we're meant to have, which is found and rooted in Jesus Christ, we have to lay down a lot of things. We have to lay down certain things that we've grabbed hold of if we're going to take on the true identity that God wants us to have. And so here's a breakdown of the series. Uh, I got to talk about feelings of inadequacy week one. John last week talked about my need for control. Today we're talking about my longing, letting go of, my longing for approval. Um, next week, come back, we're talking about letting go of my right to be offended. The week after that is my fear of failure. And finally, my earthly inheritance. So I want to encourage you to come back these next few weeks. If you've missed any of this series, we have a podcast on iTunes. You can listen anytime or um, we have a YouTube channel. You can watch on there or on our website uh, to catch up. But today I'm talking about letting go of my longing for approval. Now I have a four-year-old son. His name is Kai. He's a middle child. Um, you know you middle child, middle children, um, you all have some issues. And uh, how are my middle children at? Come on, just wear it proudly. Like, you know y'all are a handful, right? Uh, middle children are a handful. And so my middle child, Kai, the other night he had a soccer game, Friday night. But I was attending a wedding of someone in our church. And so I, I, uh, I attended the wedding. I, I missed the game. I had to miss it. And on Saturday morning, he came into our room, and I said, Kai, man, how was your game, buddy? How'd you do last night? Like, how did it go? And he said, Daddy, I scored five goals. Five. And I'm like, five goals? Man, that's incredible. Way to go, buddy. That's awesome. He's like, yeah, Dad, five goals, and we won. And then he ran out. Chrissy turns to me and says, Caleb, he didn't score any goals. He was literally spinning in circles the entire game. He was not interested in playing. In fact, he finally went out and didn't even want to go back in. The coach couldn't get him to go back in the game. But he told me, Daddy, I scored five goals. Yesterday, we were at a friend's, or at Canaan's game, our older sons, and one of uh, the other one of our friends was there and asked him how he did. He said, I scored five goals. And it got me thinking, like, I don't think we've instilled him, like, you got to score goals for us to love you. Like, we haven't done that. He's four, like, we don't care, right? Like, we're just glad he's out there running around. But it's something about the approval that he was looking for, that we would approve of him or I would approve of him more if I knew that he'd scored not one goal, not two goals, but five goals, a handful of goals. Man, I think it's so interesting, our longing for approval. And the reality is this comes down and happens for you and I too. It's not just a four-year-old, four it's for the 40-year-olds. Um, you know, I, I'm getting closer to that, to 40 that is. But I was, this last week, I said I was in South Carolina. It's a pastor's round table. So we're being trained by a pastor who this last Sunday, his church is in Birmingham, Alabama. This last Sunday, they had 47,000 people in their church. 47,000 people. That is a large town. And uh, they had that many people in their church. And so he's training us. And I'm at, I'm at these round tables with several other pastors. And some of these guys had very large churches. And let me tell you, there was a temptation or an inclination that I would exaggerate our church or the size of our church. Why? Not because God would like that, but because I thought then these men would approve more of me. Now, I didn't, but the temptation was there. 
the inclination was there or to lie and be like, yeah, our church is only two years old, even though it's really four years old, right? Why? Because I want men, I want people to approve of me, to think that um, I'm doing something with my life, that I've accomplished something. And we get sucked into this all the time, don't we? Every one of us, this longing for approval. So I want to give you real quick a few signs you are longing for approval. We're going to open the Bible here in a minute, but real quick. A few signs you're longing for approval. Number one, you worry about what other people think. You worry about what others think. I mean, this is a, we live in a social media culture, a social media world. So I'm not telling you something I've never told you before, but I think that we're so quick um, and we're so inclined to present ourselves as something that we're really not. I'm talking about plastic people. We want to put on a facade or a front so that people think we're something we're not. I mean, I've looked down people's social media and I'll be like, yo, I know you. That is not you. Like, that is not the person that I know. The person you are portraying is not the person that I know. But we're so caught up in what other people think. We want to present ourselves in a certain way. We want to put on a facade. I uh, came across a tweet from a Christian uh, comedian, which I know right away that turned some of you off. But I thought it was really good for us. He said this, post he must increase, I must decrease verse, returns five minutes later to see how many likes it's getting. How true is this? I mean, we just post a verse about, yeah, we're, we're wanting it to be more about God and less about us, and then we come back to see, oh, am I getting likes? Am I getting retweets? I mean, this is the world we live in. Why? Because we care so much. We worry so much about what other people think. You know, this leads me even to, like, the things we wear. Now, my wife, man, she's come a long way. Um, she, get, she gave me permission to tell this, all right? So she was cool with it. But when we first got married, um, every time we went on a trip anywhere, we'd begin to pack. And I would dread the moment that we would be packing together. Because without a doubt, for the first few years of our marriage, every time we packed, it became a full full-blown meltdown as to how she has no clothes. I don't allow her to buy clothes. Her, her closet is horrible. How I have more nice clothes than she has. I mean, it was a dramatic moment, dramatic scene. Every time we went on a trip, and I'm not exaggerating, she will tell you, Chrissy. She can attest to this. She told me I could tell you. But something began to change after a few years of her dealing with this. She realized that this was all about what people would think of her. It was all about how people perceived her. She didn't have enough new clothes to present herself the way she wanted to present herself. But all it was about was how people would look at her. Not only that, but our first few years of marriage, we went to weddings, and we do a lot of weddings in this church this year. I'll have done 11 weddings by the end of the year. Um, that's, I mean, y'all are getting married. We, our church is about to grow, y'all. Getting married, and the babies are coming, okay? And, uh, and then my wife, actually, she's doing her first wedding, what, in two weeks, something like that, performing her first ceremony, so it's going to be awesome. So that's 12 for us this year. Well, a few years back, um, same thing happened. Every time we went to a wedding, guess what she needed? Ladies, what do you need when you go to a wedding? 
you need a new dress. You need a new outfit. And it was every single time. And we got to the point where I'm like, look, I, I love you, but we can't do this because we're going to be poor <laughs> if you keep buying a dress every time we go to a wedding. And so it was a process, but now, and, and she literally said this to me, word for word. If I wear the same dresses and we take pictures, we're going to post it and people are going to see that I already wore that dress to another wedding. But she wanted me to tell you that now she has three dresses that she rotates in succession. So we try to space them out as much as we can. And uh, she does it proudly. Babe, I'm so proud of you. It's incredible. Give my wife some love. But how many of you know the struggle is real? Because we want people to see us a certain way. We want them to approve of us. We want them to look at us and say, wow, they got it all together. Second, you are overly sensitive. Second sign you're longing for approval. You're overly sensitive. I know we live in like, they call you millennials the cupcake generation, the snowflakes. And I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I'm kind of on the cusp of a millennial. I'm right there in like the year or two where maybe I am, but maybe I'm not. But listen, when you are longing for approval, you have an oversensitivity to what people think and say about you. It's just a reality. You want their approval so bad that when they don't give it, you get hurt or as they say today, butthurt about it. We have to be careful that we aren't longing for man's approval. Third, you compromise your values. This is when you know you're longing for approval. I'll just talk about like uh, a lot of you single people out there, you start dating a guy, ladies, or you start dating a girl, guys, and you have values. You say, listen, I know what the Bible says about my physical relationship, and I want to honor God with my physical relationship. But then that person, it's not just about desire. It's not just about you not being able to control yourself, but that person is maybe pushing you to go further than you felt like your values would want you to go, and yet you compromise. Why? Because you want their approval. You want them to love you more. And you think if you do that, they will. Maybe it's even the words you say, the jokes you make. How often do we go in debt to buy things we don't really need to impress people we don't really like? Why? Because it's all about the approval. So many of us in this room are in debt because of the approval of human beings. Because of our longing for approval. None of you want to be in debt. I know that. None of us want to be in debt. But we often are because we're looking for approval from people. Fourth. You hesitate sharing your faith. I was on a plane this week, and I'm in between two dudes. And I just got to be honest with you. Every time I start talking to guys on a plane, and they ask me, what do I do? I have this, like, moral dilemma and this internal conversation because I know if I tell them I'm a pastor, there's a stigma that comes with it. And so often I am tempted to say, uh, I'm a teacher, Because I am. I teach the word of God. It's not a lie. I have this temptation to say I'm a public speaker. Because I am. I do that. But the reality is, the truth of what I do is I am a pastor. And saying that comes with a stigma. And so I hesitate. Why? For the approval of people. Now thankfully when I say it, they say, you don't look like a pastor. I say, oh thank you. (laughs) Best thing you could ever say to me. But how many of us hesitate in sharing our faith because we're worried about what people will think about us? 
Now, I'm not saying, I'm not about like ramming your faith down people's throats. But what I am saying is when opportunities come, do you hesitate, not because you're trying to do it in a right way, but because you're worried about what they're going to think or say about you. And the last reason or sign you are longing for approval is you have a hard time saying no. How many of us have a hard time saying no? Chrissy, would you grab me some water? Please, thanks. I mean, I have a hard time saying no. You say yes to everything. Why? Because you want the approval of people. And when you say yes to everything, you're really having to say no to a lot of things. Maybe no to your family time. Maybe no to, to what God's really calling you to do. Why? Because of the approval of man. All right, let's read Matthew chapter 6. I, I told you we're going to get to the Bible. Let's go. Matthew 6. In this, thank you so much. Is there no lid? Thank you. Okay, awesome. I don't want to set it on here and spill it everywhere. Matthew 6, let's read. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders of this day. And he's talking to them. He calls them out for their supposed righteousness, but it's simply for the approval of men. Now, one thing I want to say to you is... Uh, Something we say at Project Church is you don't have to believe to belong here at Project Church. I know that not everyone in here is a believer. Not everyone in here is on, completely on the faith journey. And we want to tell you, like, you belong here. You are welcome here just how you are in this faith journey. But we also want you to know that our goal is, here is that you would believe. Because we believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We believe he is the only way to heaven and the only way to the Father. But I want you to know that whether you believe or not yet, you are still welcome here. And Jesus is calling out these believers, not because of their belief, but because of what they do and how they exercise their belief, not to glorify him, but to glorify themselves. The approval of man. Here's what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's, if you have a Bible, you should underline that. In order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, the Pharisees were known for doing things simply so that men would see them. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. So in this day, they had tombs, and they made them very beautiful. They were ornate on the outside. And so they sanded them, and they, they, they um, decorated them, and they made them this white, beautiful color. And he said, you are whitewashed tombs. What was he saying? He says, you look good on the outside, but what's on the inside? A dead person. There is death on the inside of you. Why? You are a whitewashed tomb. You present yourself as like you're holy and righteous, but your heart is dead. That's what he was saying to them. He actually, Jesus calls the Pharisees, I didn't read the whole passage, but he goes on and he calls them out for three different things. He says this, he calls them out for giving, he calls them out for praying, and he calls them out 
for fasting. Praying, giving, and fasting. Those three things. Now, those seem like good things, don't they? Like, don't those seem like good things? Those are godly things. Those are holy things. But here's the truth. If we do right things for wrong reasons, the right things can actually become wrong things. And that's what happened for them. That's what happened for the Pharisees. They did right things for wrong reasons, and those right things became wrong things in their life. And so I want to challenge, I'm talking to the Christians right now. I'm talking to you Christians today. I want to challenge you. I want to, uh, uh, I want to want you to be convicted by this because I think a lot of us that have been serving God for a while, we have this temptation to get caught up in doing the right things, but we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for man. We're doing it for praise. We're doing it so people see us and people think we're holy. I'm all about being a part of a community, a community of believers, of being a part of a church, the church. This is God's plan. His rescue plan was through you. You know that God had a plan A and there's no plan B. Plan A is the church. There's no plan B. So I hope you understand the the gravity of what you're a part of today. That you are God's only plan. He said, I'm going to send my son Jesus and then you are going to go and you're going to be my hands and feet and you're going to build the church. He sent us. So there is power in this, and there is a call on us to do what God has called us to do. But at the end of the day, we have to do it for God, and for God to get the praise, and God to get the glory, and not so that man looks at us and says, wow, look at what they're doing. Look at how holy they are. Look at how spiritual they are. Look at how righteous they are. Why? Because if we do that, we become like the Pharisees. We look good on the outside, but we're dead on the inside. You know the quickest way to forget what man thinks of you is to focus on what God thinks of you. So many of us are caught up in what man thinks of us and what man says about us. The quickest way to to forget and to overcome that inclination, that proclivity to what does man think about me, what is man saying about me, is focus on what God thinks of you, what God says about you. And I'm here to tell you, God loves you on your worst day. He loves you at your lowest moment. He loves you in the midst of your sin and your brokenness. Nothing you do can separate you from his love. None of the the worst thing you can do cannot separate you from God's love, but also all the good things you do will not ever elevate you in the eyes of God. He loves you right now just as you are on your worst day, in your worst moment. He loves you. And we got to think about that because so many of us are trying to accomplish things and do things and we're trying so hard to matter we're trying so hard to, to have something that, that is substantial. And at the end of the day, all God is looking for is obedience. It's not about the result. And some of us are so caught up in the result. But the, we're, the reason we're caught up in the result is because we want people to see the results that we produce. God's not looking for re- results. He's looking for people who will be obedient. Who will say, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will go. If God is telling you to write, then write. And don't worry if anyone reads it. Someone's so caught how many, how many people are reading my blog? How many people have read my book? If God has called you to write, what does it matter? Just be obedient. Maybe it was for that one person that reads it. That's all that matters. It's about obedience. That's what he's looking for. 
I want to give you two questions today. Two questions to ask yourself. Because I believe that um, we need to ask ourselves some questions when it comes to uh, us laying down this need for approval in our lives. Number one, do I fear what man thinks or what God thinks? Everybody say fear. That was pretty weak. Everybody say fear. Thank you. So listen, fear is something we don't like to talk about. You know, I think that we, we, uh, we have this idea of fear and, and we want to be fearless. I mean, I was a teenager back in the 90s, uh, the early 90s. And uh, I was a teenager, man. I was 13, 14 years old, 15, rocking a No Fear t-shirt with no pit hair, and I weighed 105 pounds, and I thought I, 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 thought I was a beast. I, I rocked him like I was my job. No fear. And so we have this idea like, like fear is bad, right? Um, we should never fear. But the Bible actually tells us that we are to fear God. You see, fearing God is an act of reverence. It's an act of respect. There's this holy respect for God, this holy reverence for the God that we serve that says he created everything. He is all powerful. I'm just his creation and I will respect him with a holy reverence because of all that he does and all that he's given me. But fearing man is not of God. That's why the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us one of power and love and a sound mind. We are not to fear man, and yet some of us, so many of us, many of us are caught up in fearing man instead of fearing God. When we fear God, we position ourselves properly. When we fear man, we get ourselves out of alignment with who God has called us to be. So listen to me in this. I am a people pleaser, a recovering people pleaser. It is my natural inclination to want to please people. People pleasing is idolatry. And we, we are so quick to say, oh, well, like, they had idols back in the day, but we don't have idols now. I mean, other countries, like, in India, they have idols. They worship, like, gods and, you know, images and, and these kinds of things. But not us, not in America. Like, we don't, have God, we don't have idols. Yes, we do. They're just fastened in different ways. And people-pleasing is an idol. It can be an idol in our life. Proverbs 29, 25, I love this verse. It says this. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is what? Safe. You know when my kids are afraid, you know what they do? At night, they climb into bed with us. And they feel safe. There's a safety. There's a protection. And that's what it is when we trust in the Lord. There's a safety that surrounds us. There's a peace that comes upon us when we trust in the Lord for all things. But when we fear man, when we're fearing what man says or what man can do to us, what does that do? It lays a snare. You know what a snare does? It catches you. It gets you stuck. It makes it so you can't move forward. It makes it so you can't walk into what you need to be walking into. But those who trust in the Lord, there's a safety that comes. Are we fearing what man thinks or what God thinks? Philippians 4, 11 through 12 says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation Paul's talking here, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
Paul is talking here. He says, look, I understand that no matter what situation or circumstance I find myself in, that I will trust in God, and when I trust in God, I will be safe. But when we're so concerned with controlling our situation and controlling it so that people perceive us a certain way, let me tell you something. When we started this church uh, over four years ago, Christy and I had to make a decision. We felt God was telling us to plan a church, and in order to do that, we were going to have to travel and speak and raise money to launch the church. So for six months, we had zero income. This was like before Lyft and Uber. I maybe would have had some money if I knew Lyft and Uber back then, but this was before that. So for six months, we had no income, so you know what we did? We moved in with my parents. We had one kid. We were 31 years old. I'm married, one kid, and I'm living with my parents. And I want to tell you something. I was very concerned with what people thought of me in this moment. I was very concerned. I was constantly battling internally what are people saying about me I mean here I am I'm 31 I thought I would have my life figured out by 31 how many you know by 31 you don't always have your life figured out I thought by 31 I would have it all figured out I'd have that big house I'd have all the the money I needed I would you know be moving forward I would have 14 kids not one you know I thought that's how it was gonna be my wife she we got three I'm trying to get more she won't let me just kidding babe I don't know she left it didn't even work So, I battled this internally though. Like, what are people saying? What are people thinking? But let me tell you something. When we had this moment, we had this opportunity, it was do we either choose obedience or do we choose the fear of man? See, if God was calling us to do this, the only way we could plant this church was to go six months without income. And the only way to do that was to survive, was to live with my parents. And so we did it. And it was a season, and it was hard, and it was difficult, but I'll tell you right now, it was safe. There was peace. Why? Because we trusted in God and not in ourselves. We trusted in what God was telling us to do and not what man would say about us. Second question to ask yourself is, am I living for the approval of God or the approval of people? I think the reality is people are too big in our life and God is too small in our life. The reason that we live for the approval of man or people over God is because people are too big and we've made God too small. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man, Paul's writing again, or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let that convict you for a moment. Paul's saying, if I was living to please man, I would not be following Jesus Christ. And as followers of Christ, some of us are caught up in trying to live for the approval of people. For what people would think about us. For what people would say about us. And here's the what it comes down to. And I want you to hear this because I think a lot of us are asking people to meet a need that they cannot meet. We are hoping for and looking for people to meet a need in our life 
that they were not designed to meet. Now listen, you need community. You need friends. God designed you to be in relationships. So I'm not saying that you avoid community and you avoid relationships. You need that. God's called you to that. In fact, we have community groups going on all around the city right now. If you are not in one, you need to get in one. Last week, we did water baptism. In the first service, five people from one of our community groups all got baptized together that one day. That's what it's about. That's what community does. That's the power of it. But at the end of the day, those people cannot meet the need in your life. Only God can. You were designed for community, but you were designed to have community first and foremost with a Savior. First and foremost, with the God that created you. That is the first community you must have. And we wonder why people feel empty and broken, why people are searching, and they're trying to fill the hole in their life with the approval of human beings. It's because they don't have the community with the one that they were meant to have community with. That's the community we need with Jesus Christ, our Savior. Luke 6.26, this is the message. This is a different uh, gospel, but it's the same story where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And I'm going to read it in the message. I know it's not very theological, but I really like the practicality of this. It's very pragmatic, says this. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others. Saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. Did you hear that? Your task is to be true, not popular. I would go a little further with that. And here's what I would say. That I would take truth further and I would say, your task is to be obedient, not popular. Here's the reality. Obedience to God may take you places that doesn't make you popular. Obedience to God may bring you down a path that other people don't understand. I had friends saying, dude, why are you planting a church? Why did you move? I mean, look what it's done to you. You've moved back in with your parents. You have a kid. Your wife, I think we had another one on the way. What? Yeah, we did. What are you doing? What are you doing? Obedience may take us places that people can't understand and that people can't perceive. But the reality is, is walking in the obedience to the Lord and the obedience to what God has called you to, that is the only approval that you need. Because when you live for the approval of man, it may satisfy a temporary feeling a temporary void, but when you walk in obedience and live for the approval of God, it will fulfill you and, and bring you to the purpose that God has for you. You'll walk in the fullness of the purpose. What we get caught up is we go down this path and this path. We go down that rabbit trail and that rabbit trail. Why? Because we're, we're trying to get people to approve of us. We're trying to get people to praise us. We're trying to be popular. But when we walk with God, we say, God, I'm going to be obedient. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people think. I'm going to walk. We walk down the straight path in the purpose that God has for us. And it is so much more fulfilling. So I was going to bring my son's piggy bank today. 
He has an Iron Man piggy bank. But how many of you know that what we do is we let people deposit in us. They put deposits in us when we're looking for people's approval. So we open our, we, we bring our piggy bank over and we, we put it in front of them. And they drop in a coin. And you know when the coin goes in the piggy bank, it makes a nice noise, doesn't it? Ching. That's how my kids, it sounds like that. Ching, it's metal hitting metal. Ching, and they love their piggy banks. Dad, can I get some more money? Yeah, son. Ching, ching. There's something, man, satisfying about that, isn't it? Y'all had piggy banks when you were kids, right? There's something satisfying about that sound of that coin hitting, hitting the bottom or hitting the other change. So what we do is we, we take our piggy banks to people and we let them deposit in us. They drop this in and that in and man, it feels so good in that moment. It's so satisfying in that moment. But here's what we don't realize is there's a hole in the bottom. And the next day, we go to grab our piggy bank and, and we pick it up and, and it feels empty. And we, we shake it and there's, there's nothing. There's no sound. And then we, we need that temporary satisfaction again. So then we, we go to somebody else and we say, hey, can you deposit? Oh, my dad's here. Dad, what's up? Can you deposit? The lights are finally down. Can you deposit in my, in my bank? Dad, can you do that for me? You know, hey, can, can you make a deposit at my bank? Can you do that for me? Lydia, would you, would you make a deposit? And we, go, we go to people. Allie, can you, can you make a deposit, Dan? Can you make a deposit? And we let people deposit. And it, it feels so good, doesn't it? We hear that ching, that momentary thing. And the next day we pick up our bank and it feels empty again. You see, there's a hole and the only one that can, that can put a stop in that hole is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he deposits in us, it stays in us. It doesn't fall out the bottom. It stays right there. And it continues to feed us. And it continues to bless us. And we shake it every day. We go, I hear it. The coins are still in there. There's still something present. Why? Because it's not a temporary thing. It's an eternal thing. When you have a relationship with Jesus, he approves of you now and forever. I wish I could yell today, guys. I wish I could. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he approves of us now and forever. It's not temporary. It's eternal. But we're trying to fill what only something eternal can fill with temporary moments, with temporary satisfactions, and it leaves us feeling empty, and we're always longing for more, and we're always looking for more, and we're always desperate trying to find someone to fill that void, and they can't fill it. We're asking them to do something they weren't designed to do. The only one that can fill that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one. And he loved us so much that he came down 2,000 years ago and he lived a perfect life and he died a painful death on a cross. He gave his life so that you could have life. So that you could be approved of now and forever. So listen, today I was talking to a lot of Christians. Those of you that you love Jesus. You've been living for Jesus, but you know that you've got caught up in filling the void in your life 
with the approval of people. You know you've got caught up running after man's approval over God's approval. And I want to challenge you that we would be a people that say, I'm going to walk in obedience no matter what anyone says. I'm going to walk in obedience no matter what people think. I'm going to go to God for the approval that I need, not to man for the approval that I'm longing for. But those of you that are in here that don't know Jesus, he wanted you here because he loved you. He wanted you to know, I approve of you. Right now, just how you are, broken, messed up, sinful, I approve of you. All you got to do is invite me in and I will put a stop gap in that hole and I will fill you up now and forever. Would you bow your heads with me? Cross this place.